William Bathurst was a minister in the Church of England in the late 1700s and early 1800s. And because that particular church is a state church, he was compelled, we might even say forced, into the ministry for the simple reason that he was an exceptional student at Oxford. And they felt that the most uh, prestigious students needed to be in the ministry. And so since he did so well at Oxford, he was basically forced to be in the ministry. He served one congregation in England for 32 years. And from everything I've been able to find about him, he was beloved by the congregation. He loved the people, and, and it was a, a good relationship as far as his preaching and teaching and his relationship with those people for over three decades until his resignation. And what shocked a lot of people is in some research and findings, when he resigned, he basically resigned because he didn't believe what he'd been preaching for 32 years. Now, i tell you that story to... Because it's pretty amazing that someone could preach for 32 years and not be certain about what they are teaching for all that time. But you also may know something about William Bathurst, whether you know his name or not. Because William Bathurst was more than just a preacher. He he was also a writer, including a hymn writer. And someone who resigned because they weren't sure what they believed or that they believed what they'd been preaching is the same person who wrote these words that we sometimes sing. Oh, for a faith that will not shrink, though pressed by every foe, that will not tremble on the brink of any earthly woe, that will not murmur or complain beneath the chastening rod, but in the hour of grief or pain will lean upon its God. A faith that shines more bright and clear when tempests rage without, that when in danger knows no fear, in darkness knows no doubt. Lord, give us such a faith as this, and then whatever may come, we'll taste, even here, the hallowed bliss of an eternal home. How can someone who is not even certain that what they're preaching is what they believe write words such as a faith that when in darkness knows no doubt? What would cause someone to write those powerful, faith-building, stirring words And then turn around and question all of it. But may I ask all of us, including myself, how many of us have sung those words, or words such as what we just sang a moment ago, I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. And maybe we're questioning our faith too. Or maybe we just have doubts from time to time. Though we sing with such faith, words such as we have tonight. When darkness, when difficulty comes into our life, how many of us, to rephrase Bather's poem, do have doubt? Instead of are able to say, I have no doubt. With that as a backdrop, I want you to turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Because standing in, in contrast, complete contrast, to that faith that would falter when doubts and difficulties come, is the faith of the Apostle Paul, the preacher Paul, the writer, Paul, the mentor, Paul. And I believe the key phrase in 2 Timothy chapter 4 is the very little phrase, I have kept the faith, found in verse 8. Most scholars suggest that 2 Timothy is the final letter that Paul ever penned. Certainly, it is the last letter he penned by way of inspiration. It's the last words we have inspired by the Holy Spirit through Paul. He may have written maybe some personal letters beyond this, but this is the last thing by inspiration that Paul ever wrote. 
And some even suggest that as Paul wrote these words, we know he was in prison, and some suggest that they are so close to the end of his life that maybe we can get in our mind the picture of Paul writing these words as he hears the clinking of the chains coming down the hallway as the executioner comes to take him away to his death. Now, we don't know that for certain. And Paul seems to indicate some things in this final chapter that makes him think that maybe he's going to live a little while longer. He tells someone to come before winter and to bring some things to him after all. But he probably does know that he will be in prison for the rest of his life. And whether he knows that or not, we know that is what happened. And we know that these are the last words he wrote. What could cause someone like Paul to go through all that he had gone through in his life, beatings, being sent out, being questioned, being deserted, and on and on it goes, being imprisoned and so forth, to write, I have kept the faith. If we wanted to tonight, we could go back to the book of Acts, or we could go to any of the letters Paul wrote and try to piece together a long, long, long list of things that Paul did that helped him keep the faith no matter what was going on in his life. But instead of jumping all over the New Testament tonight, what I want to do is I want to stay in 2 Timothy, and specifically in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I want us to see several things that Paul mentions or alludes to that would help him to keep the faith all the way through to the end, to do as Jesus would say in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, to be faithful unto death, literally to be faithful even if it costs you your life. What could keep Paul willing to say, I have kept the faith? Tonight I invite you, if you're struggling, if you have doubts at times, if you aren't sure you can keep the faith all the way to the end, I invite you tonight to spend some time with me, with the Apostle Paul. And we're not going to discuss any of these briefly, so don't be worried, but I'm going to show you ten things. Ten things found in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that Paul did to where at the end of his life he could rightly say, I have kept the faith. How could he do that? Number one, he mentored those who were younger in the faith. The very first few words of 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge you, speaking to Timothy, I charge you. Paul was looking into the life of a, a younger preacher, Timothy, and telling him to preach the word. All the way back in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2, he had called Timothy, my son in the faith. And now as Paul nears the end of his life, he is writing that young protege, that young mentee, and telling him to remain faithful no matter what. Scholars suggest that Paul was probably about 30 years older than Timothy. But age is not what matters here. Paul simply wanted to invest in the life of someone younger than him in the faith. And Paul served as more than just a role model for Timothy. He truly served as a mentor, someone who poured into the life of Timothy. You know, you, you can be a role model just by putting on the right face at the right time. Just when you're around that person, make sure you smile and say the right things. But you cannot be a mentor to someone without being true and through and through faithful to that person. Without being genuine all the way through. You are on call all the time. They're going to see your strengths and your weaknesses. If you're struggling in your faith, or if you're going through a hard time, find someone who is younger in age or younger in the faith than you, and pour your life into that person's life. Show them your strengths, yes, but show them your struggles as well. Let them know that you have made it through difficulties because you are walking with God. Point them to Scripture. Be there for them all the time. And you may think, well, the reason you do something like that is because it keeps you young. Well, that's partially true. 
but it also can make you feel very old. Because you are always on guard, you're always working, and you're constantly seeing your own struggle, struggles because now you're not just facing those struggles for yourself, you're facing them for someone else too. And you're seeing their struggles and carrying their burdens and their weight, fulfilling the law of Christ in that way. You're thinking about someone beside yourself. If you want to keep the faith, pour your life into someone else. How could Paul say, I have kept the faith? Number two, he realized that judgment was coming. In that very same charge, the beginning of the chapter, Paul said that Christ Jesus is to judge the living and the dead. You know, we live in a world, you don't need me to tell you this, that wants us to focus on the here and now. And sometimes because we only think about the here and now, we struggle to let our minds go forward to remember the concept that the Bible is clear that there is judgment coming and that we must be prepared. Listen to the words that Paul wrote elsewhere. In 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning of verse 16, and listen to the words I emphasize. He said, The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Do you think this was just a remote possibility to Paul? No, he knew absolutely for certain that judgment is coming, that this is an absolute fact of God. Elsewhere, Paul would write, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It seems to me that Paul had his mind constantly on the fact that judgment is coming, and that helps us remain faithful because we remain prepared for that time. A man named J.A. McClune wrote a hymn that we don't sing very often. In fact, I haven't sung it probably since I was a teenager. But I want you to hear the words of the first verse. He said, Judgment is surely coming, coming to you and me. We will be judged that morning for all eternity. Some will go into heaven. Others will be denied. Will you be in that number standing outside? That's a very sobering song and a very sobering question and thought. But Paul constantly had in his mind the very simple fact that Jesus Christ will judge the living and the dead. If you want to keep the faith to the end, remember that judgment is real. How could Paul keep the faith? Number three, he stayed faithful to the Word of God. Preach the Word. As one who does this for a living, I come back to those three words very often. To remind myself, that's the charge of those of us who would take it upon ourselves to preach or to teach the Word, especially in a public fashion, but really in any setting, public or private. We preach the Word, but those words are more than just an outline for preachers. They are a reminder for every Christian, because every Christian needs to be ready in season and out of season to teach the Word of God to others. And the only way to do that is to spend time in the Word and to remain faithful to the Word. Skip down in Second Timothy chapter 4 to verse 13. There, Paul said, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Now, scholars are in agreement that the parchments that Paul is writing about are the Old Testament Scriptures. You've probably heard someone say before, what Paul is saying there is, I want my Bible. He is in prison, and I want my Bible. If you and I do not stay faithful in our reading, our studying, and our obeying of the Word of God, we are not keeping the faith. When you're struggling, don't run away from the Bible. Run to the Bible. 
Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, speaking of the Old Testament, says, The things that are written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. I don't know how many times I've been asked to speak, especially at funerals, where someone has just said something along the lines of, please take us to the Bible. They, they get it. Those times where they need comfort the most, they run to the Bible. But we shouldn't wait for that time to run to the Bible. Anytime we're struggling, anytime we're in doubt, we should go to the Scriptures. How could Paul stay faithful? Number four, he recognized danger. You know, some people think we can keep the faith by just sweeping problems under the rug or just sweeping dangers under the rug and act as if they're not real. But Paul was not one to do that. He constantly fought for the faith and was bold enough to admit that there are dangers present. And so he warned Timothy, beginning in verse 3, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching or sound doctrine, and they will be turned away from listening to the truth. They would wander off into myths, or I think some translations have the word uh, fables there. Paul knew that people would follow false teachers, and he was not going to just sweep that under the rug. He was telling Timothy, there is something to do. There is work to do, and it is a dangerous work in in the fact that people are not going to follow the truth from time to time. We've mentioned this verse a couple of times the last couple of weeks, but listen to it again in that little book of Jude. Jude does not say, does not only say that the faith was once for all delivered to the saints, but he tells us in verse 3 we are to contend earnestly for that faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That helps us keep the faith in a couple of ways. First, obviously it helps us spend more time in the Word of God. We need to make sure that what we are teaching and holding to is true. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 21, Paul said, to test all things, but hold fast to that which is good. Obviously, the Word of God is good. But it also helps us hold the faith because we might just help someone else return to the faith or know the faith. When we realize there is danger of people going away into false teaching and we win someone back, what did James say? In James 5, verse 20, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Those who don't have anything to fight for lose a reason to be productive, to keep pressing on. And Paul said that in the same context that he had fought the good fight. Keep going on. And that includes recognizing dangers. How could Paul keep the faith? Number five, he pressed on to the end. I have finished the race. He says in verse 7. In verse 5, Paul had ended his charge to Timothy with the words, Fulfill your ministry. If I may paraphrase, keep it up. Press on to the end. A race has at least two things that are important for us to to keep in mind if we're going to keep the faith. First, it has a set end, or we might say a goal. Those who run, look for that finish line. The Olympics are going to start here in a few weeks, and you watch those sprinters or even those swimmers, and as they run those races, I guess a swimmer wouldn't run a race, would they? I guess they'd swim a race. But as those runners run a race, you watch them. Where are their eyes? Are they looking up in the crowd going, wow, what a beautiful... No, their eyes never leave that tape at the end of the race. That's because they know the goal. There's an end result. There's an end point to it. We know the right. We don't know where the ending point is except at death or the second coming of Christ, but our eyes remain there because it helps us push forward. But also pressing on to the end, running a race reminds us that there are rules to follow. Those who do not run within the rules don't win the race. Paul knew that he was not perfect in this life. 
But he could say he had kept the faith, and now he's saying he had pressed on to the race to the very last step. To the Philippians, he had said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3 and verse 14. And now at the end of his life, he could look back and say he had carried the teaching all the way to the very end of life. Some of you may be facing your older years of life. You may have retired from an earthly job that you held for many years. That's fine. But please do not retire from Christianity. Don't just make these the golden years. Make them the years that are the most precious in the sight of God. Because you use those years to serve Him. Finish the race. Finish it strong. How could Paul say, I've kept the faith? Number six, he looked to the reward. We've already mentioned that Paul knew that judgment was coming, but now he talks about the prize in verse 8, the crown of righteousness. Nothing so motivates a runner like the fame and renown that will come with being the fastest person in a big race. Again, the Olympics in a few weeks, we will probably remember, at least for a little while, who wins the 100-meter dash, the fastest person in the world. It won't be me. But we will look at that and be amazed at how fast those people can run. And there's a, there's a renown there. We'll watch them up on top of that, that uh, medal stand, hearing the national anthem play of whatever country they happen to be from and be amazed because they knew there was a prize when they started that race. But our reward is far greater than any medal or even any fame. Our reward is an eternal gift given by Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, do you not know that all who run in a race compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath or crown, but we an imperishable one. No matter what type of medal or wreath or trophy or financial reward a runner gets, it's going to eventually fade away and be gone. Our reward is eternal. How could Paul keep the faith? Number seven, he surrounded himself with faithful people. You know, it's sad that Paul had to write about Demas in this context in verse 9. The one who deserted him, Paul said. But that is one negative thing among a list of great names that come near the end of the book. When you read most of the letters that Paul wrote, and you get near the end of the book, sometimes it's a little difficult to read because there's so many names. Say hello to this person, and I greet that person. And it's, it's amazing. In fact, if you're doing one of our daily Bible reading schedules, you read the last chapter of Romans today, and it's just one name after another, after another, after another. And some are weird. Some of the names are really strange and are difficult to pronounce. But Paul continued with saying, I greet this person, I'm thankful for that person. What's the point? Paul realized he couldn't do this alone. Just just think of how we think of his name sometimes. Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Silas. Paul and Timothy. Paul and Titus. Paul and Luke. Paul and Aquila and Priscilla. He made sure that there were faithful people around him. You cannot be a Lone Ranger Christian and remain faithful because even the Lone Ranger needed Tonto. Everyone needs someone to walk the Christian race to run the Christian race together. There are a lot of Christians who just want their space. They never want to be around anybody else. They they just want to do their own thing. Oh, we show up to worship, but they don't want to do anything with other Christians. Folks, it can't be that way. We need each other. We need faithful people around us to help us through, especially difficulties and doubts. Paul was constantly around other people who loved the Lord. You and I need that kind of companionship as well. How could Paul say, I have kept the faith. Number eight, he restored a relationship. 
One of the most tender moments in the New Testament is when Paul wrote in verse 11 of our chapter, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Now you'll recall that Mark, or John Mark, was a divisive person between the work of Paul and Barnabas. Paul remembered an earlier mistake that, uh, that Mark had made, and so he wouldn't allow Mark to go along with the missionary journey. Barnabas spoke up for Mark, and so Paul said, you go that way, we'll go this way. And there seemed to be a very, very strong contention between Paul and Mark. There was, there was a split there in some ways. But now in Paul's final days, he restored that relationship. And notice, Mark is useful to Paul. He sees value. Even though Paul made, excuse me, Mark made a major mistake earlier in his life. Paul was now able to see the talents and the abilities of that man. And he wants to see him again. And he wants to utilize those talents in the ministry. There are certain relationships that you and I may never be able to restore. But don't ever let it be due to our lack of effort to try to restore those things. While we're focusing on the positive, Paul also states here that there's some negative. There are some who will... Uh, be repaid for their sins. Specifically, he mentions Alexander the coppersmith who had done Paul great harm down in verse 14. So I'm not going to say that everything was perfect in Paul's final days, that every relationship was taken care of. None of us is ever going to have every relationship perfect. But I have a strong suspicion that Paul had tried to restore that relationship even with Alexander, just as he had with Mark. How does this help us keep the faith? Because building one another up is part of the faith. Christians are to be a family that tries to see the best in one another and tries to encourage the talents and gifts that we see in our brothers and sisters. Who is it that you need to reach out to? What relationship that is strained or even broken, that has emotions tied to it, is a relationship that's holding you back from faithfulness? How was Paul able to keep the faith? Number nine, he forgave. Notice what he wrote in verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. But then look at what he wrote. May it not be charged against them. That is a powerful statement of forgiveness. Did Paul remember the hurt? Absolutely. He's human. You can't help but remember the hurt when these people didn't stand with him or defend him or be there with him through this difficult time. But he was not going to allow that to ruin his walk of faith. He knew these people had souls and he wanted to put their souls first. That helps us keep the faith when we are willing to forgive for one reason because we are commanded to forgive. We were forgiven in order to forgive. Ephesians 4 verse 32 tells us that we are to forgive one another as God in Christ also forgave you. But also forgiveness helps us keep the faith because it keeps bitterness from building up in our lives. So I need to look for those relationships that need to be restored, yes. But also I need to extend forgiveness. How could Paul keep the faith? Number 10 and finally, and above all, he realized the presence of Jesus Christ. Verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Verse 18, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. Those are the kinds of words that need to be imprinted upon our hearts all the time, every single day. I need to realize that the Lord is with us, with me, every single day, and He will be with us even through to the end. 
If we do what He says, we follow His commands, He's given that great promise, I will be with you always. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28 and verse 20. If we're simply faithful and believing in Him, He promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. There are some in this room who are going through very difficult times. There's some in this room who, as we pray from time to time, maybe suffering in silence, some things we don't even know about. Maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's a struggle with the mind, whatever. There are some who may even be questioning your faith. You're here on a Sunday night, but you're here on a Sunday night even though you're, you're wondering some things, you're questioning some things, and maybe you're even doubting, is this really worth it? Do I really believe this stuff? You may be one who's wondering, can I keep it up? I believe it, but it's hard. And I don't know how long God's going to give me on this earth, but if He gives me a normal life, I mean, for some of us, we've got decades left. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can keep the faith that long. I mean, have you seen the news? Have you read the newspaper? I'm not sure I want to do this. I don't know how I can do that. How can you remain faithful? You remember, the Lord is near. The Lord's always with us, no matter what might be going on. And we remember that the same one who said, I will be with you, is the one that Paul said would give him a crown of righteousness. I wandered from the city with its noise and dusty streets and walked out in the country where the air was pure and sweet. And as I looked around me, t'was in the early morn, Across the hill I saw then a farmer plowing corn. It seemed that in an instant the scene changed to long ago, and I, a little child again, was following in the row. As I often did behind my dad, we must hoe the corn just so. And if he did, dad always said, you may rest at the end of the row. I see it now, the same old field, dad sweating at the plow, we children following with our hoes, with him to show us how. And he always said, now do it right and cut the weeds as you go. And if we did what father said, we could rest at the end of the row. The years have flown, we children grown, and father is here no more. But now I gaze on that field of corn like we hoed in the days of yore. And compare this life to that field of corn as we toil here below. For Father has said, if we did it right, we'll rest at the end of the row. As time has passed, I have come to realize that time is running out. We must toil for Him as best we can, and that's what it's all about. But in the toiling we understand, and somehow we must know, when we're done with this old world, we can rest at the end of the row. Tonight, I'm extending the words of invitation because that's, that's the technical way of giving the terminology. We're going to sing a song in a minute. We're going to stand up. We're going to sing. It's not just a the end of the sermon. It's extending the invitation. But folks, I'm doing more than that tonight. I am begging. I am pleading. That if you're here tonight and you are struggling with your faith, if you're here tonight and your faith is, sh- is shaky, because of things going on in your life, because of sickness, because of relationships, maybe simply because of doubts, and you're just not sure about this. Or if you're here tonight and you're saying, I believe it, I'm just not sure I can hold through to the end, I am begging you to please come forward and let us pray with you. Please let us encourage you.
Because Jesus said, I'm with you. And Paul understood that the one who said those words is the one who will give a crown of life, not just to him, but to all who love his appearing. Tonight, can you say, I am keeping the faith no matter what? Please, if the answer to that question is no, we beg you and we plead with you to come as we stand and sing to encourage you.